Today is Sunday, October 9th, 2016, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Filling in this week for Larry H. Russell, I am Justin F. Poulin. I'm the regular host of Celtic Stuff Live here on CLNS Radio, and I'm pleased to be here with you once again. It was just last January that my Celtic Stuff Live co-host John Duke and I got back into the game covering a show for Larry H. Russell. We got the itch and brought our show back after a four-year break, so I just have to start by thanking Larry for giving us that opportunity to rediscover our passion. So what do we have on tap for you this week? It'll be hard to follow Jared Weiss filling in last Sunday, who had an excellent interview with Marcus Smart focusing on the changes to his shooting form. But we are certainly going to take a crack at it with All Things Celtics blog, featuring Jeff Clark and Bobby Manning in a clash of old head and new school. That's what's coming up on episode number 178 of Celtics Beat, which is brought to you this week by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash Celtics and use the promo code Celtics. The show is also brought to you by American Families Network. God, I've been waiting to do that. Larry, thanks for the opportunity. Love American Families Network. And now we're going to get into it with Jeff Clark. Jeff, thanks for joining me. i got to ask you, is this the first time you've been on Celtics Beat? Uh, it might be. I think it might I, be. I, it's, it's hard to kind of keep track of all these uh, different podcasts and things like that. So, you know, I, I love what you guys do, but, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't really paid attention to who who's interviewing me at this, at this moment. Well, what's funny is I've noticed you've been participating in a lot more podcasts than I think you used to, and it's sort of like the Bill Simmons effect. I remember he used to shy away from podcasts, but then all of a sudden he's he's running his own, and, and uh, good on you for getting out and, and uh, having some practice and giving it an opportunity here on Celtics Beat to, to join us as we get really excited about preseason. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. It's unfortunate because you and I both live out of market, and we we started to talk about it prior to the interview, but it's crazy to me how we cannot see any of the preseason games out of market, especially as a Celtics fan, because the broad base of fans stretches for the Celtics, maybe as much or more than any other team in the NBA. You're talking Australia, Italy, and we saw it because... Uh, when I started Celtic Stuff Live way back, we we were having people call in via Skype from all parts of the world outside of the U.S. So I just think it's crazy. I know you and I are probably not going to have any hugely uh, huge analysis from from the actual play on the floor, but it is kind of a travesty that we're not able to watch these games. Yeah, I'm sure that there's you know it always comes down to money and and. I'm sure the broadcasts um, or the companies have their own reasons for not showing the, the, you know, the games, but it just feels like, you know, as a, as a thing for the fans that they would figure out a way to, to make it available online. I mean, um, if anything, they're just preseason games. You could give those away for free. I don't don't know what the big deal is um, for, for for that. It could be like a kind of thing to get people hooked on it and want to sign up the the league pass or something like that. And, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. Obviously, smarter people than me have a lot more invested in this than than I do. So uh, I'll just uh, take the games when I can see them and um, and rely on people who are, are local watching the games and some highlight packages and enjoy it from afar. 
Well, it's funny because you really can watch a lot of highlights. One thing the Celtics organization does really well on the website is post videos of plays and also interviews after the fact. I thought their online presence has really expanded and done a good job over the last five years in providing content. And then we have Twitter, and you have all kinds of people putting out highlight reels. So I do feel like I get to see a little bit of the play. What I miss is the the flow of the game. I think that's the, the part that yeah. that you don't get to see as much. Yeah, based on the highlight packages, everybody's shooting 100%, um, <laughs> except Tyler Zeller, who airballed the ball again, a ball. And, uh, yeah, all the shots go in, all the, all the plays look fancy and good. So, uh, you know, everything's good, right? I feel bad for Zeller. What a, what a tough position for him to be in. He, he waits it out. He's the good soldier all last season and into the off season. And now he's just not, and it's only been a couple of games, but he really isn't performing. And it seems like everybody else has had, well, maybe outside of RJ Hunter has had some sort of a highlight. Well, every year Danny Ainge has to have a um, a walking expiring contract to to use for, uh, or at least to have available for trade purposes. So this this year Tyler got the got the nod. Yeah, he did, and and it's a good it's a good sum. It's the right amount to balance out. And the good thing about Zeller too is he's not an aging vet. He still is a young player, yeah. and in the right system. You could see another team. He's not, I don't think he's just a salary. He may look that way based on opportunity and performances on this club, but he does have some, some potential for any acquiring team that would get him in trade. Let's also talk about James Young, because I just threw out RJ Hunter, who is definitely struggling, and we put him maybe side by side with, with Zeller. But James Young is somebody that, especially after summer league, pretty much the fan base completely wrote him off. And now on his right. last, you know, dying contract, let's put it that way. It's, it's like he's on his deathbed. All of a sudden, he's playing for his uh-huh. life, and there's a lot of aggressiveness out there. I mean, there's there's still some head scratchers, but he's still one of the youngest players on the team. Yeah, it's um, you know, and I I didn't mean to totally you know dismiss Zeller, but you know, all of them, all these guys have some kind of potential to be you know helpful in, in a team and. Um, whether it be, you know, Zeller as a backup or as a trade chip or as a, as someone who can, you know, fill in if we do make a trade not involving him that, you know, fills in, he can, he's someone who can, you know, fill in their role of backup, um, big man. And, uh, getting back to, you know, James Young, I think you're right. He, he seems to have, um, seen the writing on the wall. He's, he's gotten the note, he's gotten the memo that, you know, if this is it, do or die. Um, and he, he's, you know, he's doing what he needs to do to be aggressive. And, um, for some reason, it seems like RJ Hunter has done the opposite. He's kind of um, regressing and, and it doesn't seem to be like he's, uh, you know, per all accounts and, and reports, uh, he just doesn't seem to be, you know, adding value on the court and the biggest value that either of them can add, whether it be, you know, James Young or RJ Hunter is hitting outside shots. And if, you know, if Hunter can't hit those shots, then he's not going to be valuable. Um, of course, you know, it's small sample size, um, just two preseason games. That's, that means about as little as anything in the NBA. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's, there's trends and there's, you know, um, reports out of, you know, camp and things like that to see how people are doing. And certainly seems like it's down to those two for the last roster spot. And uh, right now it seems like James Young, you know, against all odds, is, is, a, is a head in the race. 
Yeah, and the other thing, too, that some people have thrown out there is don't necessarily assume that Jordan Mickey is a lock for the roster either. What's interesting is you look at James Young and Jordan Mickey, they both had success in the D-League, and maybe it hasn't translated into gameplay with the parent club. Some of that has obviously been confident, but I felt like R.J. Hunter has always looked the least confident on the floor, and I can't remember who on Twitter keeps saying it, but they've tweeted it a few times that in the past couple of days or towards the end of the last week that R.J. Hunter, people are starting to figure out he's a shooter that can't shoot right now, and I do think it's right. it, it, a big part of that is, is confidence. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of odd, too, that, you know, we've got, you know, Demetrius Jackson and um, and Jordan Mickey, both second-rounders, and you, they, they seem to be, you know, locks for the roster versus, you know, a couple of first-rounders and James Young and R.J. Hunter that kind of are on the bubble. And so it doesn't always – I mean, once the once the draft is done, you're on a roster and you gotta you got to earn your spot. So I guess all that goes out the door at some point. If, um, but if yeah, James I like, Young – I mean, I do like Jordan – I'm sorry, what? I was just going to say, if James Young continues his play, he's all set. He really should be able to make the roster, which is astonishing. But I think one of the biggest key indicators is just where he's at in that rotation. Brad Stevens is definitely giving James all the opportunity in the world to earn this spot because of the playing time he's getting in preseason. So there's always some head-scratchers on defense, but what you saw with the Red Claws was he would knock down shots. You have to live a little bit with a young player not making all the right rotations and the right reads, but when he wasn't hitting shots with the parent club and he looked sort of not necessarily 100% effort on the floor, that's when it started. people started to think, all right, James, that that project may be over. And and another big wild card in the whole equation too is we haven't seen gerald green yet and you know i've i've heard you know people smarter than me that have um you know slotted him in in as like a rotation player and then other people also very smart and saying that you know he's not a lock for the roster either so if he comes in and and just doesn't look very good then you know and doesn't fit into the style that brad stevens wants to, to to play then you know He's a he's a candidate to be cut as well. So, and you never know what what kind of like you know last day of uh, preseason deals that Danny Ainge might be able to pull off or something like that. So he's never. It, it seems like Danny Ainge never lets a um, he, he never likes to just outright cut a guy. Like even if he's just trading a guy for a you know top 55 protected second round pick or something like that. He always tries to get something out of it. So the master of generating trade exceptions. Yes. Yeah. And I should probably give a little more credit to Mike Zarin, who is probably pulling the strings on those deals as well. So, all right, well, let's get into, uh, we dodged a little bit of a bullet with Isaiah Thomas and the wrist injury, but I want to talk about the two newest additions, Al Horford and Jalen Brown. But let's start with Horford because his impact is undeniable right out of the gate. We thought he would plug in seamlessly in the rotation where Jared Sullinger vacated that spot at the four. That's definitely been the case. But I also am loving the way that he and Isaiah Thomas have sort of been able to run pick and roll. I mean, that combination offensively should be a powerhouse. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what happens when you take a uh, an all-star center and, and slot him into a into a position like that. 
Um, he, he really, you know, we've been saying it all along. He's a perfect fit for this offense. He's a, he's got the great temperament. He's got a perfect personality. He's, he's um, right in line with the whole um, uh, character of this team. And you can see how it's going to work. And then when you actually see it on the court, um, backing up what we've been saying all along, it's kind of a nice feeling to say, yep, I saw that coming. That's, that's good. And, um, you know, once again, preseason, two games in preseason, um, it's not something to get overly excited about, but at the same time, you can kind of see this building You can see them working through, Hey, this is where I'm going to be standing. This is how this is going to work. People are going to be freed up a little bit more. And I just love the whole concept of, you know, Al Horford making everybody around him a little bit better. And, and if there's one thing that Isaiah Thomas needed was, you know, a little bit of breathing room, a little bit of, um, if someone, I mean, he's, he's going to get his points. He's going to, you know, score, especially during the regular season. But when it comes to the, to the playoffs and, and teams are just hyper-focused on him and, and they have, you know, several days between games to, to game plan against him, uh, it's it's harder for he has to work that much harder for the work for the the points and uh, it doesn't work as well for everybody else. But with Al Horford in there, it's going to just add another wrinkle. It's going to give him a little bit more room and it's going to give him you know um, you know a a scoring running mate, if you will. Another interesting factor is the space on the floor for a player like Jalen Brown, and I want to get there. But something we've seen in preseason, which is almost astonishing, this team that could not hit a three-point shot to save their life last year and ultimately clogged the lanes and allowed teams to key in on Isaiah like you just mentioned, now all of a sudden they're hitting their three-ball. And Al Horford, I had mentioned this on Celtic Stuff Live a few weeks ago, that I felt like Al's presence and ability to space the floor would give a little bit more room to all the perimeter shooters so that they might be able to knock down open shots. But this Celtics club missed a lot of wide-open three-pointers with plenty of space last year as well. Now, all of a sudden, the preseason, it's looking encouraging. Maybe some of that just has to do with fresh legs and being healthy, with the exception of Kelly Olynyk. But that space, if that can continue, you're right about Isaiah having all of that room to work and be able to drive and dish. And then the other thing with Horford is pick and then pop versus really all they had with Amir Johnson was pick and roll. This gives them so many new ways to move that offense, even not just spacing from the perimeter, but that mid-range game as well. That's what's going to open things up for Jalen Brown. Are you on the hype train yet? I mean, it's just been a couple of games and some highlights, and he is a rookie, and he's bound to make rookie mistakes. But I've been on the hype train. I'm not even objective anymore. You can just throw out any Jalen Brown opinion I have at this point. But are you on the hype train with me, or are you kind of guardedly optimistic? I am I'm very guarded I'm very optimistic with a hint of guardedness at least for this year because um, he's going to he's a rookie he's going to be making rookie mistakes and you're going to have to live with that and work through them and uh, allow him to to grow but it's very encouraging to see how much play he's getting with the with the starting unit and with the the first off the, the first guys off the bench and it really looks like Brad Stevens is going to use him in his rotation and he's going to utilize his talents and that's what you know that's what Brad Stevens does is he accentuates the positives and and you know doesn't focus too much on on the person's negatives which you know i think is is something that makes everybody better uh, and that, you made a point too about the the spacing and the three point shooting and hadn't thought about it too much before than right now but if you think about it like you know it's not like they added any major shooter it's not like they got like jj redick or or Kyle Korver or someone like that 
But what they did is they removed Jared Solinger. They removed Evan Turner. Those are two terrible three-point shooters, right? And Marcus Smart had a historically bad season last year in terms of shooting the three-point shot. And if if he can just get marginally better, he obviously he worked on his shot. I'm, I'm, I don't know how much it, it translated into two preseason game preseason games so far, but even if he's just marginally better than he was last year, that's a, that's another uptick. And then you get someone like Al Horford out there hitting shots. You get someone like Jay Crowder healthy again after you know having being dinged up last year. Someone like you know Kelly Olynyk shooting up to his potential once he gets back on the court. You know all these incremental increases could turn this you know Celtics team from being a, just a putrid three-point shooting team to at least a league, league average type of team, and which which is. You know, when you got a um, Isaiah Thomas and an Al Horford, maybe that's all you need in, in order to get the, the offense going in the right direction. Yeah, and Terry Rozier may be earning some of those minutes in Evan right. Turner's absence, and he's proven to be a pretty reliable three-point shooter, especially with his performance in summer league. Yeah, and all you really have to do is just hit enough of those to keep the defenses honest. You know, last year we had guys like, you know, Evan Turner, Jared Sollinger, and, Mar- and Marcus Smart. Every team in the league knew the book, and they said, okay, go ahead. Here's five feet of space. I'm going to hang out here in the paint and make you, make you beat me. And they couldn't do it. So that's, that's something that, you know, if you got Terry Rozier out there knocking down a few shots and you got another guy, um, you know, creating a little bit more space, and that's going to free, free up everything for everybody. All right, last question before we get you on out of here. The whole idea of rewriting the book gives a new perspective, and you wrote about it on Celtics blog, a new perspective to maybe how the Celtics can compete in the East. And I know all eyes on the Cleveland Cavaliers, and for all intents and purposes, and not to even kicked it off the article this way, not to say anything about or disrespect the Cavs, but and and even many people have said one injury away, and that's that's a no-brainer. But you're saying maybe the right. Celtics have a shot at this, uh, that we can't just take it for granted that they're going to be able to, that they're not going to be able to compete with Cleveland. And I think some of the things we're seeing are hints at that. But I wanted you to elaborate, I wanted you to elaborate on the article, you know, rather than me just kind of read some quotes from it about why you think that way. Because where I've been yeah. coming from has been, let's just get past Toronto. Toronto owned us last yeah. year. And yeah. that's a team that has something that we now have in Jalen Brown, which they had in DeMar DeRozan, somebody who could attack the basket, somebody who could really slam it down. I'm not sure that Brown's going to get those minutes, although he plays better with the veterans. We ought to see flashes of it. He's not going to do what DeMar DeRozan does for Toronto. But there are some new looks to this team with Horford and Brown that I think maybe we can rewrite that script and definitely the game plan. How 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 do you think that the Celtics can really challenge Cleveland? And do you think they're a lock to, to uh, leapfrog Toronto? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't mean to make it a lock at all. I mean, it, we, I, by writing that article, I fully admit that, you know, the, the cart is, you know, 10 feet ahead of that horse that, that you know, we're in right now. We've got to get through the, the rest of the league. We've got to prove that we can win together. Um, we've got to prove you can get – into that conversation with the top teams in the East before you can even, you know, consider fighting the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and the and the Toronto Raptors certainly seem to be the other big um, obstacle in that. Um, I guess I'm coming from the perspective of a lot of listening to a lot of these, you know, previews, reading up a lot of 
you know, over-unders and things like that. And a lot of people, I think correctly, kind of surmise that the, the, the Raptors kind of, you know, I don't know if they overperformed last year, but they definitely performed at the top of their ability last year. And that you might see a little bit of regression this year. It might come back a little bit. They, they've lost guys like Biombo and uh, it's just possible that they could, you know, come back down a little bit, which would give a team like the Boston Celtics a chance to maybe leapfrog over them and, and be snipping at the, or nipping at the heels of the Cavs. And the, I guess my point in the, in the article was simply that, Hey, you know, the Cavs, don't have anything to prove this year. They, they don't have to, you know, get the best record in the East. They know that they can, if they have to, they can rest people and, and pace themselves. And, and um, certainly Le- LeBron James is, is getting up there in mileage, uh, if, if not ultimately years. Um, and he's, he's, gonna, he's not going to need to have a 66-plus win season in order, to, um, in order to have a shot at winning the title this year. So, they know that they have the ability to be like as low as like a four seed and still come run through the East and, and have a good shot at making the finals and, and winning the whole thing. But I'm just saying that, you know, the Celtics have a really good defense and that, that makes a difference, especially in the postseason. And we've got, you know, the ability to jump in there. If anything happens, if, if anything goes sideways for the, for the Cavs, then the, the Celtics can pounce and they've got that chance. I think the Celtics' depth yeah, and- allows them to be extremely competitive in the regular season and keep the legs fairly fresh. You can even see where Amir Johnson can have a reduction in minutes where maybe the plantar fasciitis doesn't really kill him. Um, and then in the postseason, it's a different ball game because of the break between games and the, the depth is not as much of a strength. You really need that top tier talent. But I think my favorite quote in the article before we wrap is what you said here. Horford will probably outplay Kevin Love. Or actually, you quoted a real GM re- writer. But Horford will probably right. outplay Kevin Love. And I, I can't disagree with that. I think what's funny is how far we've come in such a short period of time. That quote right there accentuates where we've been and where we're going. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, Al Horford is just a, a very reliable, you know what you're going to get from him type of uh, player at this point. And you know, game to game, much much respect to Kevin Love. He's a, he's an all star and he's a very very good player. But he, you know, you can you can you can't really bank on him. You know, from one game, one series to another. All right, Jeff Clark from Celtics Blog, right here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Make sure you check out all the content on CelticsBlog.com. We're going to be back after this with Bobby Manning, also of Celtics Blog. All things uh, Celtics Blog on today's show. We'll be getting to some questions, mailbag questions with Bobby before we close it out this week. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for the podcast, love. I just want to take a moment to talk to you about Movement Watches. Movement Watches, if you haven't heard of this company, it started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them. So what did they do? They started their own company. Guys after my own heart, that's for sure. I love young entrepreneurs. As you know, CLNS Radio was founded by a bunch of Celtics fans way back in 2009, and from there we started a a company that made a career out of it, so we can absolutely relate to the owners of Movement Watches. And let me tell you, I purchased the Chrono Gunmetal watch. This watch is so sleek, so cool, black stainless steel, it's light, it's versatile, it's great for dress occasions or even casual affairs. 
a little bit more about movement watches they start at $95 I purchased the chrome gunmetal watch for under $100 and I know with the watch I purchased you're looking at $400 to $500 in a department store so give yourself a big discount off a watch right in time for the holidays you can get 15% off today with free shipping and if you don't like the watch guess what you can return it for free all you have to do is go to movementwatches.com slash Celticsbeat. Wait a second. Even the name is cool. It's spelled www.mvmtwatches.com slash Celticsbeat. Now is the time to step up your watch game, folks. And I can tell you, since I got the Chrono Gunmetal Watch, I've been getting complimented left and right. Get your 15% off. Get your free shipping. No risk involved. You can return the watch if you don't like it. And you're also supporting Celtics Beat Podcast and CLNS Radio. Again, go to mvmtwatches.com slash Celtics Beat. Episode number 178 of Celtics Beat is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. They're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a very fair price. Casper combines two technologies, springy latex foam and supportive memory foam, to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. You can buy it easily online and completely risk-free. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that in all reality you spend a third of your life on. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period so you don't have to lie down in a showroom. So what are you waiting for? Get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing this to industry averages, that is an outstanding price point. And you can save an additional $50 toward a mattress purchase by going to casper.com forward slash Celtics and entering our promo code Celtics. That's casper.com forward slash Celtics and the promo code Celtics. Free shipping applies to U.S. and Canada customers only. Terms and conditions apply. Now we have Bobby Manning from Celtics Blog. So like like we said at the start, it's all things Celtics Blog today. And Bobby, we set things up with a mailbag on Twitter and then a fan post over on the site. So we've got some good questions to go over. But first, we've been talking a lot lately, and I know you've got the Bobcast here on CLNS Radio, which really has been awesome. You're all situated at Syracuse now. And the Bobcast is back up and running. Well, it's been it's been fantastic. Last week we got to chat with a guy from Miami, a great writer from Miami, Tony Capobianco, about the Jose Fernandez situation. But you know me, all about basketball, specifically the Celtics. So it's good to get back to my bread and butter today. Yeah, and I also want to just give a quick shout out the off-season interview series on Celtic Stuff Live. Make sure you check that out. Uh, the interview with you, Bobby, was really a great show, one of our leading downloads, competing with, you know, the Sean Grandy episode, the Chad Finn episode. So good good on you for, for driving some numbers and really being uh, the inspiration for that. Let's let's get into the mailbag a little bit. So we've got a few preseason games under our belt. We're starting to see what the impact of Al Horford and Jalen Brown is going to be for this club. 
Jeff Clark kicked it all off on the show today, and we talked about spacing on the floor as well as some of the end of the bench guys, which is a perfect segue to one of our mailbag questions. We're going to go right to it at RJ Hunter Fan28 on Twitter. Says, besides James Young, who do you see being the first to get traded? Uh, and then has a second question about Bentle and whether or not he has a shot to make the roster. Jeff Clark and I didn't talk about that, but we did talk about James Young and RJ Hunter and Jordan Mickey and their performances in the preseason. RJ Hunter looking like maybe he's not going to make it, but a lot of the discussion is maybe even Jordan Mickey is not a lock for this roster. Let's start with the Bentel question. We'll segue towards James Young and the trade question. Do you think Bentel has a shot at making this roster? If you'd asked me before, I, you know, maybe during Summer League, I would have thought, yeah, there's a chance there. But as Summer League went on, I think the odds went down. Where do you think it stands now that we're some games into the preseason and we've seen him with maybe the veterans? Well, we'll see how this Kelly Olynyk situation develops because I think that's going to be a big deal when it comes to spreading the floor with bigs, which is something they really hold as valuable. Kelly Olynyk comes first and foremost in that department, and I think that's a role that Ben Bentel could end up filling in bits and pieces as they, you know, situate minutes and throw those around. What scares me, and it's something that came up last at the very beginning of last season, is the rotations there's a lot of bodies being floated around right now on this team and it doesn't really look like they have concrete rotations hammered out yet and you don't expect that at the beginning of October but you'd hope by the end of this month they start heading in that direction so they're gonna as always they keep the door open for a lot of guys so there's no way you can rule out Bentel but you hope that they start to find a concrete vision of what they want by the end of this month and that it doesn't spill into the season and kind of bog them down like it did last uh last october into november well they knew their rotations in the backcourt for the most part with the exception of isaiah thomas being looked at as possibly coming off the bench too going into the starting role and becoming an all-star and really leaping off of that into this season will be I think solidified that backcourt rotation. The front court was a mess at the beginning of last year. That's a really good point, which is where Bentel may be able to carve some time, but I don't think he'll get regular playing minutes. It may be a depth thing. And I think Kelly Olinick's going to be fine, but to your point, they may want to have a little more depth. That also plays into Jordan Mickey. And I think being a shot blocker, the team knows a lot more about Mickey than they do about Bentel. I think it's probably likely that Bentel ends up, you know, not being not making the roster, but ends but is going to play with the main red clause, maybe signs a contract, and they keep him in the club, so to speak, that way. So we'll have to see how that plays out. The rotations, though, are I think for the most part a little more solidified because of Amir Johnson and Al Horford. I think they're working well together at least at the start of the preseason. But one of the biggest things has been the second unit. And last year and heading in the first, it's definitely in the first game and a good portion of the second game, the rotations were more wholesale. It was, this is the first unit, they're playing together. Now we're going to take the best players on the second unit and see how they fit. And obviously they struggled against the opponents. But in that first game against Charlotte, going into the second half, we started to see a little bit more of the rotations being 
fluid where some of the bench guys were coming in and still playing with the starters. That's what good teams do. And I think we'll never see a full perfected uh, second unit sort of sub in pattern. I think it's going to depend on matchups, but I think the more that those players, instead of just saying, okay, we're going to take these three guys off, then the next two, we're going to have a whole, we're going to have a full bench out there. I think if they're more intermingled in those rotations, the better it'll be. And the more established, I think the units will be able to be able to play together. Like you look at somebody like Jalen Brown, he does light years better being out with the veterans than he does with some of the other players like fringe players and deeper into that second unit rotation. So I think that's going to be a big factor as well. Yeah, I don't think you want to leave that second unit out on an island, especially early on. And it's something I'm sure we'll get to is that whole Evan Turner situation. He was kind of a guy last year that you could throw out with anyone as part of a second unit. And he would kind of be the glue that meshed everything together. In the first Charlotte game, you mentioned that. I didn't see anyone, and they did go with that very fluid first lineup and then on to a full second lineup, and I didn't see anyone really step up and solidify the -the on-the-ball distribution, and they went about four minutes, five minutes, maybe even up to six minutes between the very end of the first quarter and the second beginning of the second quarter, where the offense just essentially stalled. Horford was off the court. You saw it last year with Isaiah Thomas. There was a lot of times where if he was off the court, the offense would just go into the ground. So I think, you know, you're really going to have to have, especially early on, either Isaiah or Horford in with those groups just in hopes that the offense doesn't completely shut down for major stretches of a game. Well, I think a natural way to progress that conversation and what you alluded to was to talk about Evan Turner. So we're going to go to another mailbag question. We're going to table the other part of R.J. Hunter fans' question, which was, besides James Young, who do you see being the first to get traded? We're going to come back to that one. But let's go to the Twitter question from at Alex Ololorio, which said, how much will we miss the shot creation of Evan Turner, and how will we make up for it? And you look at the two players, we talked about this with Jeff Clark, you look at the two players that have gone out this season in Jared Sullinger and Evan Turner, neither of those players were good from beyond the arc, so the spacing still got a little congested. I think one of the ways that that uh, gets fixed is because now you have Al Horford who can hit the three ball. He's in there. The floor is totally spaced out. Rozier is another player who has been able to shoot from beyond the arc and he can distribute the offense. If if he and Horford are totally, like, let's just say that they're the substitutions for Jared and Evan Turner, I think there's a lot more room to work. And then you look at somebody like Jalen Brown, he can get in there with that space and attack those lanes with some thunderous dunks. They've never had a player who can do that. So I think those three players are the most likely to replace some of that. And then you have Marcus Smart, who's worked on his mechanics uh, Jared Weiss did an interview with him on last week's Celtics beat, filling in for Larry H. Russell. Talk to Marcus a little bit about that. But I think Marcus Smart is another way to replace that. Ultimately, I think fundamentally it's about increasing floor spacing and hopefully hitting three ball shots at a better clip than last year. That's really how I think they can create uh, or close the gap in the loss of Evan Turner. I do want to give a shout-out to Jared Weiss. That interview is fantastic. 
fantastic. And I was talking to him the other day. It really is amazing how he's become one of the foremost authorities on the Celtics through both CLNS Radio and now Celtics Blog, where he's working with us. You gotta love Jared. Met him multiple times. Hilarious guy. Great NBA mind. Definitely want to check out his work if you can. But going back to that Marcus Smart point, he is vital. And, you know, you said it very well there. Horford is a man of many talents like Evan Turner was. And the spacing is important. But ball handling is as well. And in that first Charlotte game, we're going to keep hitting on that. I, they had so many guys working as outlets for the ball, and it was amazing, and it blew my mind that they even worked down to Avery Bradley for distribution. He was dribbling around the top of the key, identifying guys around the three-point line, and to his credit, he did a fantastic job finding guys out on the move in the perimeter, and his five assists in that game actually led the team with Thomas, and Ball handling with Bradley is something that seems ancient at this point. It's something they tried at the beginning of his career, but it really shows they're going to be open to anything when it comes to replacing what Evan Turner brought to this team. And it's so amazing to look back at the fact that Turner came to this team as a second thought, and now his absence in free agency is one of the big, big stories going into the season, I feel like. But it may also be a second thought by the time we get into it. You look at Al Horford, he's even starting the break, not outlet passing, but getting out and dribbling it up the court, which gives them – a lot, then their high flyers can get down the court, which allows them to attack and transition in a new and unique way. I'm not sure they're really going to miss Evan Turner. I, we're going to miss him just because he's entertaining, he's good with the media, great character guy, love the reclamation projects, it's a good storyline, and he definitely brought a lot to the table. But I just think the way that the team is going to change how it's constructed, I, I don't think that that absence, or that, I should say, the void that's left behind is actually going to hurt as bad as we think it is. He did hit, however, some pretty crucial shots, and you talked about the second unit being stagnant. I think that's where Marcus Smart comes into play. He has always, and even if you look at last season at the start, when you talked talked about the rotations not being established, he and Avery Bradley were out to finish a lot of those early games in the fourth quarter uh, to start the season last year. And Marcus was not necessarily playing well through the first three quarters. But boy, is he a closer. And he finishes strong. I think that's where the biggest gap that we have to evaluate is can Marcus be a go-to guy when the game is on the line? Because that was when Evan Turner really provided some some big punch in the regular season last year. I, I love how Smart has so much Turner in him. And that's where I really hope the fluidity is very easily transition between those two because smart as infuriating as it can be he's going to take risks and he's going to go for it when it comes to playmaking and that's something turner did it was infuriating for so long but by the end of his tenure you learn to love that he was completely fearless i mean there's a guy who was shooting 15 percent from three or something like that early on in the season he just kept taking them and stevens had no problem with it he was still playing him as much as anybody even for all the risks he took because i think with this team there's so many different players there's so much of a need for offense that in certain situations, you got to press the issue, you got to take a risk, and Smart has no issue doing that. And I think Smart is vastly superior to Turner from a physicality standpoint. I just think there's some kinks in the game that he's going to have to work out. 
And it's I'm I'm not so I'm not going to be as easy on Turner's absence as you are. They have the bodies and the talent to replace him. But as far as really establishing that role as the secondary ball handler on the team, a guy who can start and make plays, be the bench guy and make plays. Turner really established something special in the two years he was here, and I don't think in a couple of weeks you're going to be able to completely replace the skill set and more specifically the role he played within this team. Yeah, I guess I'm optimistic about just the competition at that guard spot really pushing that forward. Rozier is absolutely pushing smart for minutes, and I think that's a good thing. And then you look at somebody like Jalen Brown, although I loved it from practice. I think it was on Friday we saw Marcus Smart take it to Jalen Brown and then let everybody at practice know about it. I think Jay King put it up, and to to this early part of the season that's the best video i've seen on twitter yet or from practice and from the players sort of behind the scenes but it's that competitive drive and they've all got it i'm i'm really thinking that backcourt competition uh is going to is going to help us dis- or help the team discover who's going to replace Evan Turner but i also don't think you can discourage Marcus Smart which you you talked about a little bit you touched upon it there but i think we should take it another step further and go to another mailbag question out of it which is you can't discourage these young players from growing and developing that alpha dog mentality of Marcus Smart's does need for all of the faults that that may come with it and the growing pains that's what the regular season is all about I'd rather take a couple of losses, close losses and competitive battles, and maybe have a few less wins on the season to see Marcus learn how to uh, become that go-to guy and continue to take those shots. Because the last thing you want to do is see everybody tentative on the floor when the game is on the line. So does he make some bad choices but eventually get better and better at closing out games? That, to me, is worth it. And when we talk about his biggest improvement – I think over the off season, and it really was his first healthy one, was focusing on that jump shot. And we talked about Jared's interview, but I thought it really leads up well to one of the other questions we got. And this is from the fan post on Celtics blog, the mailbag from R Schneider 23. And he says, given how much everyone acknowledges that shooting is a problem for the Celtics, why don't they have a shooting specific coach to give some sustained focus on it? This is a good question, and a lot of teams are bringing in shooting coaches and hiring them all year round. The Celtics, at least from what I did for research on the coaching staff, do not have a shooting-specific coach. A lot of these players go and work with shooting coaches in the offseason, and I believe Marcus did that as well um, out in, I want to say, San Diego working with a coach. But a lot of teams are employing shooting coaches. I guess the other thing I'll say about the Celtics, and then we can dive into this a little bit, Bobby, but they like to keep their staff smaller. I think it increases communication, helps make sure everybody's on the same page. I'm sure there are coaches that are working with the players on shooting, but a shooting-specific coach, especially with the percentages from beyond the arc last season, it may not be a bad idea, and it might be something that you see down the line. But right now they don't have it, and the team could definitely use it in some cases, especially my boy Jalen Brown getting totally knocked around for his shooting percentages in college. Yeah, shooting's the biggest deal on this team, and it was their downfall in that series. There was a lot of other factors from injuries and, you know, a lot of Bradley being absent from the series. But overall, if you just look on paper, their horrid shooting in that series was what pretty much brought them to a loss in six games. Yeah, and I'll agree with you that 
I think too many chefs in the kitchen is what it comes down to with the fact that they don't have a shooting coach. I'm sure there's someone on the staff who handles that aspect of it. But as far as shooting form goes, that's an off-season job. And credit Smart for really hammering that out during the off-season. But you kind of come into the season as a basketball player with the shooting mechanics that you're going to roll with for the entire season because that's just such a regular part of your game that tinkering that throughout the course of a season when you're playing games every other night or even back-to-backs, that can really mess you up. And where shooting's so mental, I don't think that in-season shooting form is something that is going to be a big focus. I think over the big break that is the off season that's where you have to handle that so maybe you know training camp off season work you have a guy who can work with some of the players but I think that's also something players are going to work on individually with people of their own who they trust so I don't think that's a huge deal well I think you brought up a great point which is one of the first things I thought of when I saw the question and I did a little bit of research and I, I found an article it's back to 2012 but at that point there were six teams that had a coach specific to uh, teach shooting and, and titled shooting coach which I thought was interesting but then I thought exactly what you just said which is how much practice time do they really have to work with a shooting coach and how much do you want them tinkering throughout the season I think for the most part what you really want is just subtle reminders listen this is what you tried to do like for Marcus Smart you wanted to gather close you know not so low you wanted to get your gather basically you know right at the chest and go right into your shot speed up the release speed up getting into your shot so you can get it off quicker but really just reminding a couple of the focus points you know it, re- it makes me think about the golf game every time I've gone out and tried to make changes you can only focus on two or three things at the most And you'd start that at the beginning of the year, but then the rest of the season when you're out golfing, you're just reminding yourself to stick to those three things until it becomes natural. And then the next year you try to incorporate another change or another adjustment. It's got to be the same thing with shooting. Mostly you just need encouragement not to slip back into bad habits. And they're gonna, somebody like Marcus Smart's gonna get that from watching game film the next day, especially after a bad shooting uh, effort. If he sees, oh, I went, you know, two for eight or two for ten, that was a rough game for me. What what was I doing? At least if he's got the three things that he's focusing on, he can go back and go, oh, I'm sliding back into bad habits. He goes out, puts up a couple of shots before the next game, and just reminds himself of what he's trying to do. But you can't really overthink it because that messes with confidence and consistency as well. And it's so individual. Like During the course of a season, you really have to focus on the team as a whole and what you're trying to push as far as concepts goes for different lineups, uh, different matchups that you're running into. And like you said, how much time really is there to like set Marcus Smart aside and focus on some of his mechanics and stuff like that? It's the macro versus micro type thing. So, yeah, like you said, focus in on maybe just a few different things. And shooting takes a long time to develop. I mean, you look at a guy like Rajan Rondo, how many years <laughs> has he been in the league now? And he hasn't even come like a step within where he wants to be or where you'd like to see him. 
So it's shooting's just so complicated. It's something you talk about with so many different players. Even we mentioned in our conversations in the past, some of the superstars of the league don't really have a state. I mean, look at LeBron James, the guy who just drove the Cavaliers to the championship. He doesn't really have a steady jump shot, especially out from beyond the arc. He makes it work. A lot of guys make it work. And it's the clutch shooting with him. That's really the biggest thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So shooting... It's an ongoing story. It's always going to be a story with teams because it's such a hard thing to drill, a hard thing to develop at this level. And, you know, hopefully you start to see some strides from Smart. Shot selection with him, I think, is a big deal, too. Um, But overall, I think you're going to see some strides with him where he's going to have the ball in his hand, shooting off the dribble. Yeah, Need to see that. Absolutely Mm. need to see that. All right, let's get to the last question here. We're going to go back to at RJ Hunter fan 28 because he asked a question besides James Young, who do you see being the first to get traded? And I, you know, part of me, and we talked about this with Jeff in the first segment, which is Danny always wants to try to get something for his players. He doesn't want to just let them go. It's unlike him to just cut a player for no reason. And James Young's really very much in that boat. He's performed well enough that maybe there is some value either in keeping him or trading him, but hopefully we'll see that consistently through the rest of the preseason. But other than James Young, who who do you see being the first to get traded? I'm going to throw that to you, Bobby, and then I'll follow up. But it's an interesting question because you almost, on the one hand, this speaks to the larger theme of don't we want to, you know, are you on the side of, trade away this youth and get an established veteran like a like a Cousins and bring them in and, and really go after the championship? Or is there some merit to staying young and letting this play out and having this homegrown culture and attitude and, and, and letting it evolve so that it's sustainable? I, I'm really in the let's, let's let the young players develop and stay competitive and then work towards winning a championship. But uh, – but if you are talking about making a consolidation trade, you got to start thinking about a lot of these young players and who's going to go. So uh, I, I've got an interesting answer to this. I wonder what yours may be, Bobby. I always go back to that Tayshawn Prince trade at the trade deadline, the one that you know was overshadowed by the Isaiah Thomas edition because everyone forgets they had Tayshawn Prince ready to go packing. They were going to cut him, just completely let him go for free. And everyone across the league seemed to know that was what was coming. And somehow, one way or the other, they were still able to spin a trade that got them Luigi Dottome, who we still love. He still holds a special place in our hearts here in Boston. Thanks and to Jonas, the man bun. Yep. And Jonas Jarepko, who is still a mainstay on this team right now, whether it's with the starting lineup in the playoffs or at the bench where he's going to hopefully be impacting this team. So you never see a guy just let go on this team, even Tayshaun Prince, who everyone thought was heading in that direction. So you could look at this question from an outsider perspective or an insider perspective, whereas I think a guy from the outside who would draw some interest is Tyler Zeller. I think big man depth is a big thing at a lot on a lot of teams around the league, and he could be a valuable player, especially on his fantastic contract that they were able to spin together. Eight million for this year, non guaranteed second year. I think he'd be very valuable if he was kind of hung out there on a string. But from Danny's perspective, 
It's tough. It's really tough. I, I don't know who they would be spinning out there. Gerald Green, maybe, if the, that doesn't come together. Maybe he has an effective preseason. They don't see him as a guy that is going to be able to help this team. So maybe they can swing him out there and get something for him. Kelly Olynyk. That's, that's think- my answer. You just, <laughs> I was going to say Kelly Olynyk, I think is sort of a surprise selection and I'll let you finish that thought, but I, I definitely think somebody like Kelly Olynyk could wind up being a player trade. And I know everybody's salivating for the lineup with Kelly and Horford out there because of the spacing, but I think, I think Al spaces the floor pretty good, even with a mirror out there already. So I, and, and Kelly's kind of in that waffle zone. I'm not sure that Kelly gets traded independently, but if you're looking at taking a bunch of players and putting them in a package to upgrade talent, we know they need to upgrade at the front court. You know another team is not going to give us a better player that could either be starting caliber or six-man off the bench behind Horford and Johnson, or even ahead of Johnson, depending on it. They're not going to give somebody up without getting another player in the front court. And quite frankly, the Celtics just have nobody else to give. They would have to give up Olenek and maybe a James Young and maybe a Rozier and try to bring in somebody that would bolster their depth or or play in the starting lineup alongside of Kelly Olenek. Who that player is, I don't really know. I'm just saying I can see I can see where Kelly Olenek would be the player to move in that scenario once he proves to be healthy and is back on the court 100%. Well, one thing we've really taken for granted ever since this current Celtics thing we're looking at started is the fantastic contracts on the roster. There hasn't been any worries about cap space. Really, the only major deal they've had assigned now is Horford, and that's going to start heading us in this direction where we're going to have to pick and choose who we really want to pay, and Olenek's going to be one of those first guys to come down the pipe. I think this offseason, he's going to be a restricted free agent. So you have to make a decision at some point, and you look at the complexion of this roster, really the only open start spot on the starting lineup is power forward, and you think it should, you should just snap your fingers and say Olenek if that's what you want. If you what you wanted to see out of him, you were getting you would snap your fingers and say, oh, Linux the four. You can spread the floor, handle the ball, do everything you want there. But you have what you'd like to see out of Olenek on one side and what you actually get from Olenek on the other side. And we've kind of fallen in the middle of there without going hard in one direction a lot of the time. And now injuries are starting to come into play. I think Olenek's a very captivating trade trade guy because I'm not going to compare him here, Johnson, to him as far as spreading the floor goes, I don't think you can do that. I get scared every time Amir throws up a three, whereas Kelly, there may not be a better shooter on the team than Kelly. You know what, Bobby, too? I think Zeller is definitely the most likely, and Kelly Olenek is the sneaker sneak attack pick there. But we're just about out of time. Bobby, awesome job. Thanks for coming on and uh, – you know, fill, I'm filling in for Larry H. Russell this week. Thanks for helping me and bringing some some great content and some great talk to Celtics beat. Hey, it takes a few men to fill those big shoes, so we're only so lucky to be able to get these few guys in there for Larry. He can drive a whole show himself. It took a couple guys to do it for him. So thanks to him for opening the spot to us, and thanks for you, to you for having me on, Justin. Love a good Celtics conversation. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin. 
as well as the show's Twitter handle, at Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio's Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Celtics Beat to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Jeff Clark and Bobby Manning, as well as our sponsors, Blue Apron and American Famous Network, for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, graphic designer, Taylor Arter, and CLNS Radio founder, Nick Gelso, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, I'm Justin Poulin. Join us next week for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.